Welcome to the weekly message from Upper Room Community Church in Vaughan. We hope that this message will help you grow in your faith and provide practical ways to strengthen your relationships. For more information, visit us at upperroom.ca. Today I'll be reading scripture from the book of Luke. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened, and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. And the voice came from heaven, You are my son, whom I love. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was about 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was a son, so it was thought, of Joseph, the son of Heli. Jesus, full of the Holy Spirit, left left the Jordan and was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, where for 40 days he was tempted by the devil. Jesus returned to Galilee in power of the Spirit, and the news about him spread through the whole countryside. He was teaching in their synagogues, and everyone praised him. He went to Nazareth, where he had been brought up, and on the Sabbath day he went into the synagogue, as was his custom, He stood up to read, and the scroll of the prophet Isaiah was handed to him. Unrolling it, he found the place where it was written, The Spirit of the Lord is on me, because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim freedom to the prisoners, and recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Then he rolled up the scroll and gave it back to the attendant and sat down. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. He began saying to them, Today the scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. All spoke well of him and were amazed at the gracious words that came from his lips. Isn't this Joseph's son? they asked. Morning, church. Nance, thanks for sharing that song with us uh, back in September, actually, when I was just praying for our church about where we were going in the next decade. One of the things that came to mind was I thought, I think, um, I think our musicians are going to start writing more songs in this time, because when God is doing new things in a community, he begins to give words um, to express it. And so uh, thanks for sharing that with us. Um, our prayer really is we've been going through this series uh, called Out in the Influence is that um, God would be doing a work in each of our lives and we'd be able to begin to articulate it. And so much of what we've been doing together in church and in home group during the week is actually learning to kind of say out loud what is going on in a sense below the surface. And the image that we've used um, sort of for this series is the iceberg. And Nancy talked about, we went through an exercise about exploring the iceberg in our own lives. Now, we, we haven't mentioned yet, I kind of thought, to my, I said to myself I wouldn't, but I can't help it, it's the last one. What's the most famous iceberg in, in history? The Titanic, I know. And um, so I know some of you are still wondering how Leonardo DiCaprio could have died in that and still acted in movies after that, but that's, you know, that wasn't true. But the story of the Titanic is true. And, um, you know, it's, it, the picture of the, the, the tragedy of that, um, of that whole, uh, the sinking of that great ship was that they didn't see it coming. And basically, as a, it was sort of a, an architectural and an engineering masterpiece, and there was all kinds of people who um, were, bought tickets to be a, a part of this experience, and they had a dream and a plan of where they were heading and where they were heading to. And the tragedy of the whole story is that what 
literally destroyed all of those dreams with something not, not that they had planned for, but with something that was below the surface. It was something that actually was the part that wasn't visible, and it was the thing that they couldn't see that actually wrecked them. And in many ways, we've been saying through this whole series, and even if you're new to this or new to our church or just coming into this cold, the idea of saying, okay, well, actually, we have many plans and ways and places where we kind of know where we're heading. And whether you are sort of just, if, if you would describe yourself just starting out in life or just starting out in school or just starting out in a career or maybe you're midway through or even maybe you feel like you've closed off that one chapter, you're heading into retirement, there's still this idea of plans and places and spaces, you know, the whole Dr. Seuss, all the places you'll go, right? The things that we think about and we dream about. And I would say regardless of, um, of your background, where you, where you grew up, Regardless of your, of your faith, your, where you are in your spiritual journey, regardless of your age, your uh, social status, that we could probably describe the places we're trying to head to in life that, that looks like um, kind of good, healthy relationships. Like that's what we all want. We, we want to love and be loved. We, we would hope and, and, and believe that in our family or in our marriage, if we're married, if we want to get married or uh, with uh, children, if we have them or parents, if they're uh, still alive and we're interacting with them or the people we work with, that there would be some kind of harmony and joy and that we would, uh, especially as we kind of head to Christmas time and anticipate family time together, we would think, okay, that's, that's kind of what I want. You know, I, I'd love to have that. And, and to, some, to some kind of um, success or capability in life to feel like I've arrived or I was able to do what I wanted to do. That, you know, gosh darn it, I'm good and people like me. You know, the old Saturday Night Live skit. Like that, that that's what we would hope for in life. And what we've said is that the, the, the things that kind of motivate us, that that's what often derails us is not a lack of opportunity, a lack of education, a lack of money, um, you know, a lack of capability, a lack of personality or charisma. What derails us in life is not the things that we tend to see that's kind of the 10% of the way we live and judge each other's what's above the surface, but it's actually what's below the surface, our inner life that ends up sabotaging the dreams and the hopes and desires that we have or where we're trying to go in life. Now, as even as I say, so that every one of us, in a sense, wants to be, wants to be loved and wants to feel capable or in control, those are kind of the two things that tend to fuel us in life. And they don't, they're not, they don't seem like kind of bad things. They're like just human nature, right? Who doesn't want to be loved? <laughs> Who doesn't want to feel, um, you know, capable and strong? But they're, they're faulty in a sense for two reasons. Well, one, for the first one, in terms of if we base our lives or the fuel for us in life is what other people think about us and feeling approved and feeling significant, then when we don't get that, or even when we do and realize, actually, I'll never be able to hear enough for it. Like, how, how good is whatever compliment you received? It's, it's, like it's only as good as the last one, right? And that wears off pretty soon, and then you need something else. And whether it's the person in your workplace whose head you're trying to turn, or someone in your family, or a parent, or someone you love who you're hoping would love you in return, the fuel for our lives of hoping that we would be loved and approved of, and for someone else to say, you're good, or you're loved, is a bit sputtery, because we can ride a bit of a roller coaster with what other people think about us, or how successful we feel like we're doing. And when it comes to feeling capable, none of us would say that we're, how many of us don't put up your hands? Are you sort of power hungry people? Nobody puts up their hand, right? We say, well, I don't know. We're not really into power. That's not, that's kind of, like, I'm not really sort of into that. But how many of us like feeling weak? Anybody? How many of us like feeling like we're facing a situation and we feel incapable? How many, like, how many of us like feeling like maybe in a workplace or relationship that someone's asking something of us that we say, I simply can't or don't know how 
to do that. Ever been in that place? It feels horrible. And so our desire in many ways in life is to feel like in control, to feel powerful, to feel like I'm not going to feel weak, I'm not going to feel powerless, I'm not going to feel incapable. And yet we know if those are the things that drive our lives, the motivations of, of feeling loved and feeling capable and feeling powerful, it will, life will be difficult for us. And sometimes we don't realize that those are the motivations of our lives until we suddenly face a situation like that. And maybe that's been you, when you've been in a relationship where suddenly you felt like so you're capable and all of a sudden someone, you, you couldn't get them to love you anymore or they were kind of turning away from you. Maybe it's an adult child, or maybe it's a young child, or maybe it's a spouse, or maybe it's a parent. Or feeling the place where you've had kind of success upon success with whatever you did, and finally in your career, you suddenly hit a wall where you felt like people were better than you, or they were passing you, or what was being asked of you. You just said, I can't do this anymore. It begins to actually expose the motivations in our lives to say, well, what is the fuel for where we're going? And what's below the surface that if we're not aware of will actually derail us? And as we kind of come to the end of this series, I wanted to talk about what does it look like in our lives to actually find a fuel for living that is not kind of faulty, that's not below the surface, that in the end, depending on circumstances, might end up derailing where we're trying to go in life. We go, of course, to the Gospels, and uh, Camille read for us a section from Luke's Gospel, one of the biographies of Jesus in chapter 4. And what's so interesting about the life of Jesus is if you read the first two chapters of his life in the book of Luke, there's all kinds of prophecies of the greatness of what he was going to be and who he was going to be. That, and the, the kind of things said about him would be the kind of things you'd really hope would be said about you, that your parents would tell you, just read the stuff people said about you when they found out we were pregnant with you is that he would be the, the, the son of the most high, that he would be the prince of peace, that he would be a king of kings, that he would heal, that he would save, that he would restore. I mean, the first two chapters of Luke are actually stunning, a stunning picture of God breaking in on all these people and saying, I'm about to do something incredible and his name will be Jesus. And then if you read sort of the rest of the life of Jesus, you look like, and basically the stuff that he did was, was absolutely mind-blowing. Feeding 5,000 people from a single lunchbox, you know, um, healing people that had been crippled or blind for, for, um, from birth, actually raising the dead. The stories of Jesus now we know are well documented, and even people who weren't sure about his claim to be God, the Jewish historian Josephus, who was not a proclaimed follower of Jesus, wrote in, in his, uh, the uh, Antiquities of the Jews about this man, Jesus, who was a miracle worker. So the stuff that Jesus did historically, actually, even people who weren't sure who he was knew there was something incredible about him. So that all these amazing prophecies of what he was going to do in life, and then this, the reality of what he actually did do. And we can look at it and think, oh yeah, okay, that's how, that's how Jesus lived his life, because he was going to be great, and he was great. And so that's what I'm trying to do, too. But just these couple of verses that we read for you actually help us understand that Jesus had a fuel for living that was nothing like the fuel that we have. And that actually had nothing to do with the prophecies that were said about him or the great power that he was going to have in his life. And I believe they're not only a description of what was, if you said, what was Jesus' iceberg? What was below the surface in Jesus' life that was actually motivating and driving him? The reason we actually want to understand it is because it is the two things that we are actually able to have ourselves to motivate us in life. In Luke 3, it says, I'm going to read um, just briefly the beginning of what uh, Camille said. Luke 3, chapter, uh, chapter 3, verse 21. When all the people were being baptized, Jesus was baptized too. And as he was praying, heaven was opened and the Holy Spirit descended on him in bodily form like a dove. 
And a voice came from heaven, you are my son whom I loved. With you I am well pleased. Now Jesus himself was 30 years old when he began his ministry. He was the son, so it was thought, of Joseph. You've read this passage before, or maybe you read it for the first time. You go, okay, that's interesting. A bunch of people were being baptized, and Jesus was baptized too. But in these two verses, we are actually given a picture of what was the fuel for Jesus' entire life and ministry in just two verses. And if we go over it, we will miss something so critical that will actually affect every part of the way you and I do our life together. It says that Jesus was baptized, and as he comes out of the water, and the, and the historians are, you know, the, uh, Luke sort of traveled with some of the apostles and wrote this stuff down because they saw this. Now, up to this point, there'd been a bunch of prophecies about Jesus, but then really nothing worth writing down for about 30 years. You know why? How we know he didn't do anything extraordinary? Because nobody wrote it down. He just was like everybody else. Suddenly, at the age of 30, he comes onto the scene he gets baptized, and as he comes out of the water, it says that heaven opened, and this dove, which was like the form of the Holy Spirit, rested in him, and then a voice spoke out of heaven, said, you are my son, whom I love. The very first thing that Jesus was given, now think about this, this is before he had done anything noteworthy. This is before he had done anything commendable, anything beautiful, anything obedient in a sense publicly that looked really good. Before any of that happened, he first hears the voice of his father saying, I love you. I am well pleased with you. The very first fuel that Jesus operated out of what he was given before he did anything commendable, before he did anything that made him famous, before he did anything that made him worthy of all the worship that we give, God the Father literally opens heaven and makes this public announcement saying to him personally and that everyone could hear, you are my son and I love you. That's my son. Luke says, he was the son, so it was thought of Joseph. But God says, no, no, I'll tell you who son he really is. That's my son. You know, when people love other people, they make a big spectacle of, of their love, right? Like, so when I um, finally came to my senses and realized, I want to marry this woman, Jen. And so I decided I was going to propose to her. She was traveling, visiting a friend in California. I thought, I'm going to fly there and surprise her. So I'd worked it out with her best friend. They were in Santa Barbara. And I said, I'm going to arrive such and such of this day. You take her down to the beach, and then I will meet her on the beach, and I'll surprise her or whatever. So we kind of, that was the general idea. We didn't actually have all of the details worked out. So like we get there and then I arrive at her, her friend's house and her friend's husband was there to meet me and they had already gone down to the beach. And so she was going to blindfold Jen, but Sean and I, we were talking for a while. And so they all of a sudden realized, dang, like she's been there for a half an hour already. So, so we come running down to the beach. So Jen's been lying on the beach at this point with a blindfold on for 45 minutes. I asked her later, I'm like, what do you think, this is her friend Cindy, what do you think she was doing for you? She's like, oh, she told me she had some surprise. She's like, I thought she was making me a seaweed necklace or something. I'm like, yes, low bar. This is going to be good. <laughs> that was the best thing you could come up with. So, so I come down to her and, and so I'm beside her and, and they're taking pictures of me like kneeling next to Jen while she's still blindfolded. And she's like, what is going on? Like I hear people taking pictures. Like why are people taking pictures of me? So she swings her hand out and hits my leg and she's like, and there's this dog nearby. Like what's that about? You know, so they go, okay, so then, so finally I take the blindfold off her. I have a white t-shirt on, right? And she's been in the California sun with a blindfold on. 
So her, the blindfold comes off. It was perfect. Like I couldn't even plan it better. There was this like halo around me, she said, because she was blind and she couldn't, she hadn't seen anything. The light was blinding her and there I was. And it was awesome. So anyways, it was this like public display of love, right? And this is the picture actually what's happening in the baptism of Jesus. God is in a sense breaking in, not in common ways. Like when he broke in to talk to the angels that his son was coming, he hadn't said anything for 400 years. So it's not a common occurrence. And then again, kind of relative silence for almost 30. And then all of a sudden heaven opens and God says, you want to know whose son this is? My son. And he says it directly to him. I love you. The first motivation, the fuel that Jesus had for his life and ministry was that he was loved by God before he had done anything lovable. This is stunning, actually. We think like, well, wouldn't Jesus kind of known that? Like, why need to say it? Because it needed to be said, because he was a human being needed to, needed to know the affirmation and the love of his father. And it was like God was saying, whatever other human being may lay claim to your life as father, I'm your father and I love you. And then the second thing is power. This is the Holy Spirit descended on Jesus in bodily form. And then if you read right after, like Camille read for us, then Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus full of the Holy Spirit. Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. See, oftentimes we think that Jesus did the stuff he did that was noteworthy that we write about and sing about because he was God walking around in just a bodily form, but he wasn't really human. He was mostly just God doing God things. And that's kind of shaped a lot by our sort of, by Greek mythology, um, um, by some of the Eastern religions and by our superhero kind of uh, interests, right? That the, the whole picture of superheroes or Superman coming to earth or whether it's the Greek gods breaking in, it's like God's in their full godness bodily form breaking in on human existence and doing God stuff. And so we read the account of Jesus through that lens. We think that's what he was, a superhero. And yet it says, the scriptures say that Jesus was like us in every way. He was made completely human like us. And so like every one of us, he needed power that would come from the Holy Spirit. So the stuff Jesus did in his life was not because he was God walking around, but because he was man filled with the Holy Spirit. Do you get this? Here's what this means. If you want to know what does it look like for a life to be motivated by the love of God and filled by the power of the Holy Spirit, it's Jesus. That's what life looks like. That's what a human being fully alive looks like, is Jesus. Do you get this? I can hear some amens. That this is actually the picture of a new humanity. You see, if Jesus' ministry was motivated by what other people talk about him, he would be up and down just like you and I are based on what other people think about us. Because Jesus had raging success and other people raging with hatred and eventually killing him. If Jesus had tied his ministry to what other people thought about him, he would have been manic. Jesus, Jesus, they love you. Jesus, Jesus, they want to kill you. He would have been an emotional wreck a narcissist, or whatever. And at the beginning of his ministry, God says, no, that's not what is going to provide the foundation for your stability and, and ministry in life. It is that I love you no matter what anyone else says about you, even your own earthly father. 
This was the fuel and the motivation for Jesus' ministry. And then that what he would do would be done out of the power of the Holy Spirit, in the filling of the Holy Spirit, completely dependent on the Holy Spirit. It's interesting, we see this picture of Jesus doing ministry and doing life in a daily dependence on God. It wasn't like at the beginning of his life, he was prophesied to be the savior of the world, that somehow in Mary's womb, he just got a download of all this stuff, and then he went through life with Teflon on, able to do everything. You know, like the spider bite comes and hits him, and that's how the power, that's just how, this is our picture of how the power comes in every other sphere of life, but not in the story of Jesus, and therefore in every human being after him. That in a sense, Jesus comes and lives the life that Adam, the first man, should have. Adam, the first man, should have been filled and lived. Adam and Eve lived the human race, fully motivated and fueled by God's love for them and the power of the Holy Spirit. Instead, they couldn't and they failed. So Luke writes in his genealogy, begins with Adam, the first son of God. It now starts again with Jesus, the new son of God. In a new way. And it actually begins to change things for you and I because what this says is these same two things are given to you and me. You get this? The same two things that motivated and fueled the ministry of Jesus are yours and mine in Christ. That you and I have pronounced over us, no matter what anybody else has pronounced over us, that we are loved. That we are, as one person has said, of utmost importance to the one of utmost importance. And isn't that what we all want? That God, through his son Jesus, has rescued us from riding the manic waves of what other people think about us. That we ride high one day when, when we've heard good or done good or people have said good about us and we've been commended or promoted or engaged or loved or whatever it is, crashing down the next day when that's been taken away. That God has rescued us from that kind of life and said, no matter what anyone else says, no matter whose son you are, you're my son, you're my daughter, and I love you. Some of you just need to know that today, that this is what you have been given. Pronounced, the scriptures say actually God sings this over our lives, that God sings his love to us, and he's unashamed. Jesus, at the end of his life, prays, Father, I pray that they would be with us in this love thing as you are with me. I want them to know the love that you have for me. I want them to be loved like I am loved like a son. Jesus saying, you can have this in Christ. We are loved children of God. And Jesus throughout his whole life, right? What did he call God over and over? The Jews had very um, few and revered names for God. Yahweh, they weren't even allowed to say aloud. That's why there's no uh, vowels in it. So they couldn't pronounce it in a sense. Elohim creator God. They knew all the things. And of course, Jesus knew God was that. But what did he constantly call God? Father, Father, Father. When he taught them to pray, what did he say? Father in heaven. Father, I thank you. Your heavenly Father. And the word is Abba, which means Daddy. It was this expression of close intimacy. Jesus says, this is who God is more than anything else. How do we know? Because I know I'm his son. And you're his son. You're his daughter too. That this is meant to be the fuel of our lives. What motivates us in life is that we are loved. Before we have done anything lovable, God gives us his love. Scriptures say this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us. How do we know? He gave us his son. 
And then secondly, friends, that you and I are meant to live the life that we have, the places and spaces into where we have been sent. We have been sent with the power of the Holy Spirit, that you and I are not meant to do life based on our charisma or our talents or our education or our abilities or our reputation. The power that you and I all want is not come from a self-reliant, self-sustaining, independent way of doing life. It comes through the power of the Holy Spirit. That God has actually given us his spirit. This is the incredible mystery of the Christian faith. It's not some path or some rule, set of rules we follow. It is a life lived, empowered by the living spirit of Christ that works his way and his power and his will out through our lives. It is the gift. And so that means as Christians, we reject, we forsake any kind of dependence or there's nothing wrong with education or charisma or talents or abilities or life experience or intellect. There's nothing wrong with that. But what's wrong is when we depend on it and say, well, this is how I'm going to actually be successful in life. And God says, no, I actually made you to be filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. How do we know? Because that's what I sent Jesus to show you. This is what a life looks like filled with the power of the Holy Spirit. And so those of us who follow Jesus, we say we reject living out of any other kind of sense of power and importance. And here's the thing. We understand this in community. Like This isn't like each one of us is individual Jesus's boom with the power of the Holy Spirit, boom with the Father's love, go off and do some damage. Then, then that just creates either like, you know, self-loathing because we don't feel like we're living like Jesus or pride because we're like, no, I can do this. And it's like, no, no, we are together the body of Christ. It's in community that we experience the Father's love. Because you know what? I can't really go away and meditate on a mountain and somehow convince myself that God loves me. If I do, I'll manage to just be proud. Or if not, the other thoughts in my head will say, yeah, you did, but you did this, you did this, and yesterday you said that, and tomorrow you're gonna do this. We actually need to be in community where other people tell us you are loved. Like, you need me to be in here telling you this, even though you're like, yeah, yeah, I know I'm loved. I'm like, no, you don't know. You forget, it leaks out of your brain. You're constantly trying to earn the approval of other people. In the church, we preach the love of God for us to each other. Amen? And in the church, we pray for each other and operate with each other in the power of the Holy Spirit, that together we sense his presence and power. It's why we gather together on Sundays. It's why we gather together in our homes for home groups. It's why we pray for each other. It's why we sing together to experience the power of the Holy Spirit filling the church. And so this is my thing, that whatever we do together, we say this, this hour a rhyme for you. This hour is about love and power. This hour is about love and power. When we are together as the church on Sundays, when you are together with the church in home groups, when you are together with other believers, this hour is about love and power. Whatever we are doing, it has the potential to remind us and to operate out of the, the right kind of fuel in life, the, holy, the love of God for us and the power of the Holy Spirit. This hour is about his love and his power in us. And that every time we gather, we do this. And so we're going to do that this morning. I want to invite um, the people who are going to do some prayer ministry for us this morning to just take your places. We're going to have a couple people, um, couples up on stage here, um, two on the main area here and two at the top of the aisles for those of you that don't want to travel all the way down. And we're going to have some time where the worship team is going to lead us 
and singing, but you're going to have an opportunity to actually come and receive prayer. Because some, some of you this morning are like, you know what? I need to know in a fresh way the love that God has for me. I've been riding too much the waves of my own approval of myself or other people's approval of myself. I'm dying to hear that I'm good from my spouse or my child or my father or my boss or whoever, and I don't want to ride that roller coaster anymore. And so maybe some of you just say, I want, I want to pray to receive more of that, that. I want to hear the voice of God telling me I'm loved. And as you may say, you know, I actually don't think I've really done much in my life out of the power of the Holy Spirit. It's mostly been me. I don't think I've ever actually asked to receive the stirring or anointing of the power of the Holy Spirit. I don't think I've expected any more of myself than just ordinary me. You may say, I, I want that today. Or I want more of it. You can never get enough. And so there's prayer pairs, tops of the stairs over here and at the front. And we're going to have time to worship and respond. But a couple things I want to say just by way of encouragement. How many of you, how many of you are under 30? Just put your hand up. Under 30. I just want to remind you of this. That every place the church has gone wrong in history is when it is forgotten that this is about love and power. When the church has lost a glimpse of the love of God and lost an understanding that it lives dependent on the power of the Holy Spirit, it has always gone sideways. And churches that were thriving at one point closed their doors 10 years, 50 years, 100 years later and ended up being turned into bars. Those are the best churches in the cities these days. Wherever you go are being turned into bars because they're such nice venues. And yet it's a tragedy because somewhere along the line, that church lost sight of that fact that this hour is about love and power. It's about knowing the Father's love amongst us and operating out of the dependency of the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you're under 30, it's on you to make sure that this church and all the churches in this area continue to thrive and continue to live and operate in love and power. If we're not going to, let's shut the doors. Let's not bother meeting if this isn't about the love of God in our midst and the power of the Holy Spirit. Otherwise, it's going to come to nothing. And so every time we do a service like this, and so that's why I want to call those of you specifically under 30, maybe you need to be at the front of the line today. Maybe you need to say, I need prayer. I want, I want to have a life. Jesus, it says, at the age of 30, and his disciples were younger. And what they did in three years has been echoing throughout history and billions of billions of people in a thousand generations since then. So age has no limit on this life stage, socioeconomic situation, gender, anything. This church needs to be a place that says as long as we are committed to being prayed for to receive the love and the power of God, we're going to be good. And so I hope lots of you take advantage this morning in taking time to come and receive. There's also some questions in the back of your bulletin if you just need time to just sit and reflect. As you listen to the songs, feel free to stand or sit or worship however you want. You can use those questions to reflect, but by all means, whenever you're ready, just come forward for prayer. I just want to bless you with that deep, deep knowledge that, that in a sense what you maybe have known in your head would travel that long journey from, from here to, to your heart of the love of God for you. the power of the Holy Spirit. And then I want to bless you with an, an experience this week, an opportunity to be tested in that. 
Just as Jesus was given the Spirit and the love of God and then led away and was tested in it, that when a time of testing comes this week, instead of your instinctive response, whether it's fear or anger or needing to prove yourself, that the deep peace of the love of God would be upon you. And then instead of relying on yourself, you would turn your eyes upward and say, Holy Spirit, help me through this. Would you receive that? And thank you so much for coming. Um, Malcolm's got a couple announcements for you. And if there are people who would still like prayer, the, the, uh, some of the prayer ministers will be available after.